try that again. Open your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 11. Ricky, I just figured out what it was, that comment last year about the staff that didn't have any talent, the comment from last week. Ricky was proven. I'm more than a one-hit wonder here. I can do more than sing. I can play. I'm impressed. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1. The, the topic today is faith. Gary, I'm on here. Is that better? Okay. Uh, I don't know what you think about when you think about faith. I used to use a chair to illustrate faith. You know, you, and I noticed you all came in today and sat. You didn't sit in a chair. You sat in a pew or on a bench. But did anybody test the pew before you sat in it? Did, well, you're a little more confident in pews, right? But do you ever test your chair before you sit in it? Have you ever had a chair fail when you sat in it? <laughs> Have you ever had a chair not be there when you sat in it? You know, I had a brother, still do. He's about five years older than me, you know. I should have known. You know, when your brother comes up and says, here, let me get your chair. He really means he's about to get your chair. You know, go ahead and sit down. You know, somehow we think that's just really funny to see people fall, you know, on their rear end when you pull the chair out from under. The problem with using a, a chair to illustrate faith is what? You can see the chair. And the more you grow in faith in Christ, the longer you're a Christian, you'll realize there's more about faith than just what you see. In fact, it's almost like this. It's almost like there's times God says, take a seat, and you don't see the chair. We'll get to that specifically here in just a minute. But let me begin reading. In fact, I just want to read all six verses of this uh, passage for today that we'll get to. Hebrews 11, 1 through 6. Now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. For by it, the men of old gained approval. By faith, we understand that the worlds were prepared by the word of God, so that what is seen was not made out of things which are visible. By faith, Abel offered to God a better sacrifice than Cain, through which he obtained the testimony that he was righteous. God testifying about his gifts and through faith, Though he is dead, he still speaks. By faith, Enoch was taken up so that he would not see death. And he was not found because God took him up. For he obtained the witness that before his being taken up, he was pleasing to God. And without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who seek him. Faith. Faith, it pleases God. The book of Hebrews, written by an author that is not spelled out in the book of Hebrews. So you'll hear me say today, the author of Hebrews has written a, a letter to Jews primarily who some of them have left Judaism and come to faith in Christ. They're suffering persecution. They're still looking backwards a little bit to the way things used to be. But he's also writing to some Jews who've left Judaism. They just hadn't quite gotten all the way into fully trusting Christ as their Lord and Savior. But who else has he written? He's written us. We benefit from the book of Hebrews. And so understand something, that by the time the writer of Hebrews writes the letter to the Hebrews, by the time of the first century, here's what has happened in Jewish culture. 
they've taken the Old Testament, they've taken the law of the Old Testament, and they've added a bunch of stuff to it so that it has become this way. You are righteous by your works. In other words, you're going to be right with God by what you do. And if you don't hear me say anything else today, hear me say this. It has always been about faith. You think, well, wait a minute. In the Old Testament, they couldn't place their faith in Jesus. In a way, they could because what had God promised? He had promised Jesus. And you're going to see that in this passage this morning, that when the men and women of Old Testament demonstrated their faith, it was their faith in the promises of God. It was their faith in the law of God. It was their faith in God. And that's how it was counted to them as righteous. Now, certainly now we understand we put our faith in Jesus Christ. And yet it's still the promise of God. Hadn't changed. So it's always been about faith and nothing else. It's not about works. It's about faith. And so he defines faith here in the first few verses. He says, faith is the assurance of things hoped for. I want you to get what the word assurance means. It literally means a setting under or support a foundation, a substance. So it's, it's, what he's saying is faith, for one thing, is what holds everything else up. Faith is what? It's the assurance of things hoped for. When we use the word hope, especially from the South, if, if somebody says, hey, you're going to come over next week and help me move my furniture? And you say, I hope so. What does that really mean? <laughs> you're not coming. <laughs> You know, it's kind of like, you know, when your kids ask you something, they say, we'll try. What does that mean? Probably ain't going to happen. And so when you hear the word hope for it, I don't want you to think about, I've just kind of dreamed up some things I'm hoping might come to pass. What are we hoping for? We're hoping for the promise of God. The people that the, the writer of Hebrews has written this letter to have had promises of God, and they have staked their lives on those promises being true. And so what he's saying is, when you place faith in that, you are supporting, the faith becomes the support for all those promises of God that now have become your hope. You haven't seen them yet. They haven't come to reality yet. There's still a future hope. And the most important of those is we're going to spend eternity with God in heaven. And so regardless of how bad things got for them around Rome at that time, they had hope. Somebody might take your life for your claim that Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior. But we have hope. The, the rest of the world really didn't have that. And I think it's Paul that said, you know, we don't mourn like the rest of the people who have no hope. What's our hope? Our hope is in Jesus. Our hope is built on the promises of God that are plenty. They're many, but one of the greatest is salvation and the fact that you're going to spend eternity with Him. He's made a promise that you've come to faith. So faith is the assurance of things hoped for. One writer put it this way, faith is the active commitment. Hope is the state of mind he possesses. Faith is the active commitment. Hope is a state of mind. We have, we, have, we have said to God, God, because you said it, I believe it. So faith is the substance, or faith is the assurance of things hoped for. Secondly, faith is the conviction of things not seen. Conviction. Literally means you've put something to trial in order to prove it. You have a conviction about it. Conviction is the outward manifestation of the inward insurance, the inward assurance. You have a conviction. Do you have a conviction about anything? 
When I was studying this passage this week, one of, one of the greatest demonstrations of faith I remember from the Old Testament was Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, Daniel chapter 4. Remember what was going to happen to them? They were told, if you don't bow down and worship the image, what's going to happen? You're going to get thrown into a furnace. You remember what they said to Nebuchadnezzar? Beautiful. Genesis, uh, Genesis chapter 4, just mark it down, read it later. But he, they basically say, we believe our God will save us. But I love the next line. But even if he doesn't, we're not going to bow down and worship you. Folks, that's conviction. What are you saying? Listen, even if, even if we burn up here, we're still God's children. He's got a better future for us. You may take our life, but you can't take our eternity. In fact, have you read that passage, Genesis chapter 4? They stoked the fire up like seven times hotter than it was supposed to be. And you'll miss it if you don't pay attention because it's just a few words. It says, the men who took Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego to throw them in the furnace. Do you remember what happens to them? They get burned up from the outside of the furnace. And what happens to Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? They fall on into the furnace. And the king goes and looks, and what does he see? Four men. And when he finally takes them out, they didn't even smell like smoke. Now, that was their conviction that God's able to save us. God is able to do exceedingly abundantly above anything we ask or think. But you know what, King? We believe this about God, that if He takes our life today, He's got something better for us. That's conviction of faith. And so faith is not only assurance of things hoped for, it's the conviction of things not seen. And catch that, not seen. I really believe when we first come to faith in Christ, God gives us a lot of sight. He gives us light for the next step. But men and women, as you follow Christ for a while, you recognize that sometimes you can't see the next step. This was illustrated for me powerfully in the Walmart parking lot. Not the new one, the old one, 544 Walmart. I had parked and I wasn't actually going to Walmart. I was going into one of the restaurants down from Walmart to get something to eat. And I was about to cross, but then there's two-way traffic right there. And I watched a lady walk out with a cane. With a, She was blind. She had a stick. And I thought, what is she doing? She got all the way to the curb and stopped. But I thought, there's cars coming from both directions. If she steps off of that curb, she's going to get hit by a car. But I couldn't get to her and say, hey, don't go anywhere. So I'm just watching as cars are going. She didn't move. She stood there until two ladies came out of the restaurant, and one took one arm, one took the other arm, and she stepped right out. Now, what was she doing? You know, we, we hear the term blind faith. Let me tell you something. Your faith in God is not blind faith in the sense that there's nothing there. You may not be able to see it. This lady was blind. She couldn't see anything. But she had placed her faith in those two women. Why? Because she knew them. They had taken care of her before. And she knew if they've got me by both arms and they're stepping out, then I'm okay. So when it says faith is the conviction of things you can't see, you know if God said it, it's true. And if God's calling you to it, you can believe Him for it. The, the chair illustration is too much about trust, because you can see it. you got to know this. The longer you walk with Christ, the less it is about what you see. It's more about what you know. You know God. And you know God is good. And you know God's plans for you are not plans for a calamity, but plans for a future and a hope. And yes, if today you step off into eternity, your faith's in a God who's still in charge. He's purposeful. He's sovereign. 
and I'd rather put my trust there, my belief, my faith there, than anything I can see or anything I can do in my own strength. So that's what faith is. And then he says, by it men gained approval. What's he saying? Even men and women of the Old Testament, that's how they were approved, by their faith. They gained approval to be a witness, literally is what it means, to testify. By faith we understand the worlds were prepared by the Word of God. Folks, I don't know if you know it, that's under attack in our generation. It's been under attack for a while. For a Christian to say, how did we get here? How was the earth created? What does the writer of Hebrews say? We understand by faith that it was created not by something that was seen, but something that wasn't seen. In fact, the Latin term for that from old, you know, the way they used to describe it in the old, it was the word ex nihilo. It means out of nothing. That's how God created the world, is out of nothing. He took something, made it, he took nothing, made it something, and told it to stay there. That's how God created the earth. He did it by his word. He said, let there be land, let there be water, let there be light. Here's what's happened in our generation. Our enemy, the devil, has tried to cut the legs out from under that. See, faith is a substance. It's a support. Well, he feels like, hey, if I can just make people start challenging and questioning that, maybe I can get them to question the whole Bible. And so what's happened in the church? We're walking around saying, I believe God created the earth in six days. Somebody asked me one time, you're one of those guys who believe God created the earth in a week. I said, no, I don't. I think he did it in six days. He rested on the seventh day. So it just took him six days. But here's what's happened in the church. We feel like if we go and tell people that, they're going to think, oh, you're one of those people, you're probably married to your sister, and you've got a third eye, and you're just weird. Okay, the weird part is true. All right? What are we afraid of? Why are we afraid to simply say, I believe the Bible? I believe what Genesis says, that that's how it's gotten here. A lot of Christians say, well, you know, maybe God used the Big Bang to create it. Well, if he did, then he didn't create it out of nothing. And where did the something come from that exploded? In fact, Richard Dawkins and some of the leading atheists and proponents of non-creationism, you finally pin them down, and because they cannot, they're so heavily invested in there can't be a God. They've actually now said, well, maybe aliens. You think I'm kidding. They've really said that. Maybe aliens from another planet. Okay, smarty pants. Where'd the aliens come from? Where'd the other planet come from? Well, the Bible tells us that God created it all. And you're not here by accident. You didn't crawl out of some ooze, you know. No, God created us. He created the animals. He created man. He created woman. And so if you haven't studied the scientific argument for creationism, there is one. And students, if you're being told in school that if you believe in a six-day creation, you're just ignorant, do some research. There's a lot of scientists that have great support for the biblical model. Now, again, we kind of think, well, you know, are we smarter than God? No. But we, we, that, that is the secular human men, mentality is we're smarter than God. 
So the writer of Hebrews says, listen, part of the faith is, and this is going to demonstrate something about your faith. Are you putting faith in God or are you putting faith in men? God said it happened this way. And it's not just the first few chapters of Genesis. Read the whole book. Creation comes up again. You're putting your faith in God? Are you going to put your faith in men who say, no, the earth is millions and millions of years old? Really? Were you there? Anyway, I, I'm on a soapbox. Let me get off of it. I just encourage you to do some research. Don't let secular humans have the only word on creation. Let's look at the second point. He gives us a couple of illustrations. He uses Abel and Enoch as illustrations. This is great. By faith, Abel. Have you ever struggled over that passage in Genesis where it talks about, in, in Genesis chapter 4, it talks about uh, Cain and Abel, and you think, you know, why was one sacrifice pleasing and the other sacrifice was not pleasing? Well, it doesn't spell it out a whole lot. In fact, it's interesting. Abel, you never hear a word Abel said. Cain was the firstborn of Adam and Eve. Abel was the second. And apparently, in fact, Abel, I think somebody, somewhere we understand, Abel was over 100 years old by the time this event happened. God had obviously prescribed sacrifice to them. And it was part of worship. This wasn't something they just decided, you know what, I think one day I'm going to kill an animal and I might take some fruits and vegetables and, and offer them to God. No, God had prescribed sacrifice. And throughout the Old Testament, there was only one sacrifice that could be offered as a sin offering, and that was a blood sacrifice. Now, could you give gifts of fruits and vegetables? Yeah, that was prescribed too, but it wasn't for a sin offering. It could be part of worship. So I think simply what happened is this was at the appointed time for a sin offering, and Abel brought a sin offering. He brought what God had required. What did Cain bring? He brought what he wanted to bring. Somehow he had justified in his mind, hey, I don't want to kill an animal. I'm a tiller of the ground. I'm going to take some fruits and vegetables. They're prettier anyway. And it says that God found favor with Abel. He didn't with Cain. You never hear what Abel says, but you hear God speak to Cain and say, why are you so upset? Isn't that amazing? We, we disobey God and then we're mad at God when it doesn't go our way. And so he says to Cain, listen, sin is crouching at your door, waiting to devour you. And what does Cain do right after that? He kills his brother. And God comes back and says, what have you done? And he said, where's your brother? What does Cain say? Oh, no. I'm not my brother's keeper, or am I my brother's keeper? God says the blood of your brother cries out from the ground. And so one of the demonstrations of faith is Cain and Abel. How so? God had told them how to present a sacrifice, and Abel believed God and obeyed. Cain didn't. So what was Cain putting his faith in? Well, it wasn't in God. And Cain believed God, believed in God, just didn't obey God. False religion will always try to get you to come to God some way other than the way God said to come. And then it's interesting, he says, though, though Abel is dead, he still speaks. After he was dead, one way that he spoke is his blood cried out from the ground for vengeance. And God said, his blood's crying out from the ground, and God condemned Cain. But it even speaks today. Why? Because we're still reading about it. There's not a, a word in the Old Testament of a voice from 
able. He, we don't have any words that he spoke. But his testimony still speaks. Why? Because he believed God. And it was counted unto him as righteous. In fact, there's a ride at Disney World, the Pirate's Voyage. And what do they say? On, or Pirates of the Caribbean, what do they say? Dead men tell no tales. Y'all seen that? You heard that? Dead men tell no tales. Yeah, they do. Abel is still speaking. He's dead, but he's still telling tales. What's he telling? He is a testimony of a man who lived by faith. Second one is Enoch. In my translations, there's only 58 words that talk about Enoch. Four short verses. Genesis 5, 21 through 24. It basically tells us that when he was 65 years old, he had a son named Methuselah. He lived another 300 years and had other sons and daughters. And he walked with God, and he pleased God, and he was not because God took him. Somebody said that Enoch walked so closely with God that one day they were walking and enjoying fellowship with one another, and God just said, you know what? It's closer to my house than it is to yours. Just come on. So short little glimpse of Enoch in the Bible. What do we know about him? He didn't die. He just went on to be with God in heaven. And what was it that pleased God? His faith. Now, I want to say, we certainly know about Abel, but I can assume it of Enoch. Well, I, I know it of Enoch. Did they both live perfect lives? Did they never sin? Did Abel sin? Well, we know he sinned for a couple of reasons. Number one, he was offering a sin sacrifice. But number two, we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Only one person ever lived a perfect life, and that was Jesus. Wasn't Enoch, wasn't Abel. So it wasn't that it was counted unto them as righteousness because they were perfect. No, it was because they placed their faith in God. When God spoke, they did what he told them to do. Enoch walked with God, and he was not found because God took him up. Isn't that a great way to put that? Where did Enoch go? I don't know. Have you seen him? No. He's gone. Because God took him up. Why? Because he was pleasing to God. Last verse. Faith is required. We need to, we need to memorize this last verse. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. The word without means out of space, separately, apart from. You've got to get this. Apart from faith, you cannot please God. Now, let me tell you what that means, okay? If I don't have faith in God and I do everything right, let's say that I go to seminary and become a preacher. Let's say I preach every Sunday at the chapel. Let's say that I tell people about Jesus. Let's say that I lead people to Christ. Let's say I go on the mission field and memorize the entire Bible cover to cover. Let's say that I feed the poor. I visit people in jail. I, I do all of these good things. Is there anything wrong with those things? Nothing. But apart from faith, they're empty. I can't please God by any of those things. Why? Because without faith, it's impossible to please God. Now, does God want you to do good things? Yes, but don't get the cart before the horse. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. Now, once you come to God in faith, He's got a plan for your life. He's got things for you to do. But it's impossible. He doesn't say it's difficult. He doesn't say, you know what? Without faith, it's really hard to please God. Only a few of you will do it. No, he doesn't say that. He said it is impossible. The word impossible means unable or weak, without power. 
You cannot please God. But what's the flip side of that? With faith, you do please God. And that's the only thing God's pleased with. So without faith, it's impossible to please God. What else did he say? For anyone who comes to God must believe that he exists or that he is. Anyone who comes to God, first of all, it's an open invitation to come to God, which was a little bit foreign to the Old Testament people because you didn't just come to God. The closest you could get to the presence of God was outside the tabernacle. The only people that got to really go into the holy place was the priest. The only people that got to go into the holy of holies was the high priest, and that only once a year. So as far as this invitation to come into God's presence, it was foreign to the Old Testament folks. And yet the writer of Hebrews has already said what? You can come into the presence of God boldly because of the blood of Christ. So anyone who comes into his presence must, it's necessary, first of all, that you believe that he is. Here's what I hear in this, in this day. A lot of people want to talk about God. You know, you hear an award show, I want to thank God. Then you look at their life and you think, what God are they talking about? Other people, it's like this. They don't really believe in the God of the Bible, but it's like, well, I just want to thank the man upstairs. What does that mean? There was a very popular song a few years ago by Bette Midler called From a Distance. Anybody remember? It's a beautiful song. It was just kind of dumb. Because it gave the picture that God's at a distance. He's really not involved on planet Earth. He's just kind of, he's like he's in a rocking chair reading the newspaper, and he's just kind of watching from a distance. No. What does the Bible say? He's very near to every one of us. He's here. He's in this room. He's not watching us through binoculars or a telescope. He's here. So we must believe that he is. In fact, one of the greatest names for God. Remember when God called Moses to go back to Egypt and tell Pharaoh to let my people go? I mean, Moses has a pretty hard conversation with God, tells him he's got the wrong guy and all that kind of stuff. But finally he says, well, who do I tell him sent me? God said, you tell him I am sent you. <laughs> That's God's name. He is. That's God. So anyone who comes to him must believe that he is. Bigger than the man upstairs, bigger than some disinterested higher power. This is God of the Old Testament and New Testament. This is God who created everything that you see out of nothing. That's who God is. You must believe that he is. A.W. Tozier put it this way. I love this quote. He said, what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. So let me ask you something. What comes to your mind when you think about God? A.W. Tozier says, when you think about God, whatever comes to your mind is the most important thing about you. Why? Because God's the most important thing there is. And if you've got an incorrect view of God, that's dangerous. If you've come to understand the truth about God from the Old Testament and New Testament, by walking through faith, it's the most important thing about you. So you must believe that he is, and that secondly, he is a rewarder of those who seek him. He's a rewarder. He pays you back. He rewards you. Greatest reward is salvation. He's a rewarder of those who seek him. In fact, the word seek literally means to search out, to investigate. Some of your translations put it this way, to diligently seek. Because it's not just you're looking at a distance, man. You, you've been, you're on a mission to know God. And he rewards those. Another reward, I think, is simply this. He allows us to know him. 
He allows us to come into his presence. He allows us to know him. And folks, certainly, the deeper you know God, you understand there's more there than you'll ever know. One day we get to see him face to face. Right now we're just kind of seeing through a dark glass. One day face to face. We're going to be known. We will know him as he knows us one day. But everything we know about God is good. So whatever comes into your mind when you think about God is the most important thing about us. And here's what we got to believe. Believe that God is, that he exists. God's not dead. Can't die. He's eternal. He's always existed. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And that he rewards those who diligently seek him. So let me close by asking you a question. Are you seeking God? I'm giving you a check mark here in church today. But are you seeking God? Let's pray together. Bow your heads with me. I just want to encourage you to take a moment to pray. Are you seeking God? One thing to ask or say to God is, God, I want to know you. God, help me. We come to know God by studying his word. We come to know God through prayer and talking to him. We come to know God through church and through being a part of small groups and Bible studies, conversations with other people about him. If that's the desire of your heart, I just encourage you to say, God, I want to know you. God, I want to be a man or woman who walks by faith, who lives by faith. God, thank you for your promise in Scripture. Thank you that we hang our hope there because there's nothing else to hope in. Impact our lives with that truth. In Jesus' name, amen.